How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are locked on Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And bringing you tonight's episode is SeatGeek. Our friends over at SeatGeek have been with us for a long time. And they have a great promo code for you, L-O-N-B-A. Again, that's L-O-N-B-A for Locked on NBA. That'll get you a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. So go out and use that today. Frank, we put out the signal. Um, signal is that the right word? Uh, yeah, I guess we put out the signal. I don't think we really have a a good symbol for a mailbag. I guess it's the David S. Pumpkins gif of any questions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's probably as close as official symbol as we have for uh, a mailbag. But we put it out, and people gave us a bunch of questions. Uh, you want to hop right in? Let's do it. Let's. Let's let's jump into that early September mailbag, Eric. All right, let's start with did Moose yell and one, also at Bucks fan. That, that's that's not the question, but but probably yes. <laughs> yes, that was actually someone's handle, uh, or maybe someone's Twitter name. And their handle's at Bucks fan nineteen ninety nine. He asks, will James Young play more minutes than Rashad Vaughn in the NBA season? And let's just start with. One, James Young is a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. It is a training camp deal. Again, just a training camp deal. That is not filling the Bucks' uh, final spot, as, as we've talked about, that 15th spot that obviously you and, and I guess me too, uh, you and I are trying to save for Jason Terry. So James Young is now a member of the Bucks' uh, training camp roster. Um, will he play more minutes than Rashad Vaughn in the NBA this season, Frank? Uh, I would I would have to guess no, um, just because I think the odds of James Young making the Bucks is much lower than than Rashad Vaughn being on the Milwaukee Bucks this year. So um, I'd have to guess no. I mean, you know, when this this was announced, James Young uh, was part of that workout last week, uh, free agent workout the Bucks held, um, where a bunch of you know not so uh, you know not so impressive former first round draft picks and others. Uh, came to Milwaukee and did a workout, and uh, obviously thereafter we discussed Spencer Hawes getting stretched, which uh, leaves the Bucks with 14 uh, roster spots spoken for, including Gary Payton the second, um, who's not guaranteed. So basically, you have 13 guaranteed contracts, um, and and effectively two spots. And you know whether you think Glove Junior gets one or not, um, you've got a couple up for grabs there. So uh, so yeah, I think all the info sort of said uh, that that James Young. I, I was I was pleased to see that every report 
um, had had uh, this characterized as a training camp contract, um, which I think probably puts it in good perspective that James Young, I would say, is still, um, I would guess, still a long shot to make the Bucks roster. I would agree with that. Um, and so as a result, I, I, you know, and this is a guy who's played a, a grand total of, I think, 751 minutes in three NBA seasons. Um, Rashad Vaughn played, I think, a thousand his first his rookie year when he was horrible. Um, so Rashad Vaughn has played a lot more NBA basketball. And um, I, I would dare say as much as Rashad Vaughn has struggled, uh, he's a year younger and he has been, I think, you know, as as good or better than James Young. Is that yeah. is that can we can we say that? I think we can yeah. say that at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I don't expect James Young to to stick with the Milwaukee Bucks, but nothing would surprise me. I mean, right now, um, Jason Terry is not on the roster. Nobody else uh, is in there right now to take the 15th spot. I'm sure we'll see some other names. Um, I mean, Jaquan Lewis. I always forget about him. He's technically on the roster, um, likely also just through training camp, which means it's basically they have like a minimal guarantee, you know, small guarantee, usually like 50,000 or less, just to kind of stick around and play through camp and be a warm camp body. And, and if, if those guys get cut and play in the D league, um, James Young would then be a herd player, uh, if he makes it through training camp and then gets waived. So, um, I would say there's probably a pretty good chance he might play for the, uh, Wisconsin herd this year. I would say there's very little chance that he plays more than Rashad Vaughn, I'm guessing, but I don't know. We're, we're choosing between two guys who obviously have, you know, neither has really produced much at the NBA level. It's funny that you asked, do you think, uh, Rashad Vaughn is better than James Young because I just got done recording the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast with our friend Josh Lloyd, and we talked about James Young and Rashad Vaughn, and he was joking and said that, yeah, Rashad Vaughn was probably in the conversation for five worst players in the NBA in the last couple of years. He's like, and then when I brought up James Young, and he's like, and that was the guy that I thought was the worst player in the, <laughs> NBA in the last five years. Uh, so he was like, so maybe in training camp they can compete for the golden toilet or something like that. Uh, he's like, but those those two are certainly in the conversation, or at least how he saw it. So it's funny that you mentioned, is Rashad Vaughn better? I think he is, and yeah, may, maybe he is, but maybe it's just marginal as well. Um, it, if you would ask specifically in the for the Bucks in the NBA this season, I would say for sure Rashad Vaughn. But since you said in the NBA this season, maybe there's a chance James Young catches on with some bad basketball team. Uh, but he took this training camp deal in Milwaukee. Like if right. if he thought there was a better opportunity out there for him if there was a roster that maybe fit him better um if there was an nba roster that he thought he had a better chance of making i feel like his agent would have found that deal and they would have signed that deal so um he he did at least have to like milwaukee a little bit or uh think that there's a chance that he could catch on with the herd that he could play well for the herd um whatever it may be he had to think that there was some role for him here in milwaukee because it is just a training camp deal so uh we'll see there but yeah i would agree um i, I think i would take rashad vaughn uh playing more nba minutes than james young this season uh I'll- and and i i would only add there too i mean you know, we can. I don't know. Have people already forgotten about Xavier Henry? Remember, remember Xavier Henry? He had accomplished a little bit more than yeah. than James Young a year ago when Xavier Henry was signed to the roster, and then he ended up getting waived. I think even before camp started. So um, I think you know, generally, just a good good reminder not to get uh, emotionally attached to any guy on a training camp contract. But you know, James Young, six seven was once a guy who you know was considered a pretty highly touted prospect coming out of high school, played at Kentucky, 
you know, he can Got shoot a little bit. Got himself a Bill Simmons fist pump on national yeah, TV. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost not even worth looking at his NBA stats. Even look at his grand, you know, all of his NBA stats over 750 minutes. Like, it almost doesn't look like, I mean, it doesn't look like an NBA player, right? I mean, you, you can't, I think, paint a picture of this being an NBA player from what he's accomplished at the NBA level. He he did have, I mean, his D-League stats, he didn't play at all in the D-League last year, but um, 31 D-League games per 36, about 22 points a game, six boards, 2.3 assists, um, shot 41% from three on, on high volume. So, um, you know, he's shown something at the D-League level, but um, 59% true shooting. So, like, you know, he can do something. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, what that means for him in the NBA in, in the year 2017, I'm, 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 less I'm, I'm not going to be betting on, on James Young, but... Who knows? Right now, you know, it, the Bucks are going to have to sign somebody else to take a spot. And I went by the one other um, kind of just just quick comment. Um, nobody nobody asked me um, for that uh, about this, um, but I, I assume somebody might might have the question of like, well, could the Bucks have signed James Young to a two way contract? Um, and from my understanding, all this is like obviously new this season. Um, is I don't think he's eligible because he already has a uh, full three years of um, of NBA experience, and so I'm reading from CBA FAQ.com, my my cap bible, and they say that it says here a player is ineligible to sign a two way contract if he will have more than three years of NBA service at any point in the contract, um, and a player cannot play under two way contracts for the same team for more than three years total. That's How many two ways can you have? Two. So, so basically, James Young, because he already has three years of NBA experience, I don't think he's actually even eligible for a two-way contract. So, um, maybe answering a question that nobody was going to ask, but um, maybe maybe of interest. <laughs> if if there's already, one I've thing we can it. count on you for, Frank, it's cap details that no one asks for. <laughs> no one asked. No one asked. All right, moving on. Mailbag. We got to we got to <laughs> got to keep the mailbag moving. Uh, up next, AP Linder, uh, AJS on Twitter. Everyone seems to be high on Sterling Brown. If he is what people expect in parentheses, something like Tony Snell, does that make Snell a potentially very good tradable asset? And I'll start there, and I would say no. Um, I, I don't think... One, may, even if he is, um, I don't know if you just trade away 3 and D wings. That, that I think that's something you try to hoard and collect, especially ones that are on... Uh, on a second rounder's contract. So um, I don't think you'd be in a rush to trade away any wings, especially if you have two that are capable. Um, and then also, I don't think the Tony Snell contract is a very good tradable asset. I think it's a tradable asset, but I don't think it's a very good uh, tradable asset. So um, I would not envision that. Frank, what say you? No, I would agree. I mean, I think that this is this is the problem with free agency. Generally, guys sign for you know, not less than they're worth. Uh, you know, you, if you can find a guy who's, you know, got there's something going on, you get him at a bargain price or, you know, he had coming up an injury, something, something happened. I mean, Tony Snell a year ago, right. was a guy that was, uh, an undervalued asset. The Bucks rehabilitated his value to the point that he obviously got a nice new contract. And so as a result, you know, unless Tony Snell, um, you know, I think if he, I think if he plays basically puts up the numbers he did last year, more or less, um, then I think it's a movable contract, but, you know, are you going to get like a lot of value for it? Like, are you going to get, I mean, what are you going to get for that? Like, yeah. are you going to get a starting point guard? No. You know, I mean, like it, it's kind of one of those things that it's, it's sort of like then just a fairly priced asset, which again, you know, is probably more of a thing you could do if you did have maybe a, 
extra guys at a spot and you wanted to try to balance out your roster and you know there was uh, a, a solid guy who was making something similar to Tony Snell maybe you could go trade for that but um but I think it's an interesting question and you know again as we pointed out you know last year was a year in which Jason Terry played what 70 games in 17 18 minutes per game mm-hmm. um you know there are minutes uh, on the you know at the kind of two three spots to be had obviously Jabari being out um you know means that, that there's minutes at the three four spots um I don't know where Sterling Brown is more likely to play at the two or the three but um you know he's his size and strength length I think means he could probably play both spots maybe he's more of a two but um but yeah so I, I think again if Sterling Brown is is good enough to earn minutes then I think he can find minutes regardless of whether Tony Snell is is starting and playing big minutes or not um and obviously that would be a great problem to have if if you're trying to find Sterling Brown you know more than you know 17 minutes a game as as a rookie or something like that i my guess is you know he'll he'll have some some bumps and bruises and and hopefully he uh, he finds his shot and and you know competes defensively and grasps sort of the nba offense and defense quickly but um you know we'll we'll see i think certainly watching uh you know uh, i think probably the better question is will will sterling brown or 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 Rashad Bond play more minutes this year? And I, I don't know that. I, Whoa, I'm not, that's a question we have from Corey Ninko. Who should get more minutes, Sterling Brown or Rashad Vaughn? In parentheses, he said the right answer is Sterling. Um, but I don't want to be biased. Which which way do you go? It's funny. I think I think Corey uh, Corey, you inceptioned me on that one. I think I I, I didn't I, I pasted that question into our list, <laughs> but I had already forgotten about it. So you inceptioned me. By the way, I was just watching the Prestige on on television, so oh. I'm in it. Kind of a Christopher Nolan uh, TV TV mode, but um, great movie by the way. Yeah, if I mean, you haven't seen it, yeah. Um, I mean, where is it on your list? Who, okay, of Nolan this movies? The, what's that? Oh, oh, we're still talking about <laughs> we're still talking about Inception or Prestige. Either way, you can go either way. Um, you know, I have only I haven't watched Inception since I saw it in the theaters. I feel like it is that is up there against all of the. Christopher Nolan movies. I think maybe the second Batman movie is maybe my favorite. Yeah. And then Rises. Uh, I mean Memento's awesome, although it feels like such a different movie from kind of like a totally different time in his sort of career. Um so I would say Memento, uh what Dark Knight Rises, is that is that the second yep. Batman movie? Um and then maybe Inception. I don't know. I, oh no, I so wait, is the second one Dark Knight and the last one The Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, I think that's it. So the yeah, second one's the Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah, although I like the third one a lot too. I thought, to be honest, I thought the first Batman movie is like, like I enjoyed it a lot, um, but I like rewatched it at some point and I was just like, the plot of this movie is just like, yeah. what? Like so stupid. Like what? They just randomly decide to like come. I don't know. It was weird. Um, wait, I still haven't answered this question, have I? Okay, so, uh, so your top three. <laughs> No, no, I thought you were talking about Sterling Brown or Rashad. Well, I want to answer this one too. Jeez. Uh, okay. Well, I guess my my top three will be um, in terms of like quality of movies. I will say Memento, Dark Knight Rises, and or sorry, Dark Knight and Inception. Yeah, I think you did it right. I think that would be the way to go. Though, uh, I need to rewatch Memento again. I've watched it a bunch of times, but now I'm, uh, yeah. I think I, right. I, I have not seen Dunkirk either. Although I don't know, I feel like I've heard I've heard like weirdly mixed things. Even though it's I didn't been love like it, really well reviewed. I didn't, you didn't love, love it. No. Oh. Um, okay. Wait, but, should I should I answer this question now? Yeah, this go box for it. question. Go okay. Um, well, I think Corey may have in, inceptioned me twice over on this one um, because I I feel like Sterling Brown. I mean, I've seen Rashad Vaughn, and it's not great. 
So I, I, I feel like Sterling Brown, just by default, I'd rather see Sterling Brown get more minutes just because I don't know that Sterling Brown can't play at the, at the NBA level. Um, and, you know, and he is, he is older, actually, which isn't maybe a selling point from a prospect standpoint, but um, from a readiness standpoint, um, it, it's certainly uh, something working in his favor. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll say Sterling Brown. Um, that that Sterling Brown maybe maybe supplants Rashad Vaughn. I mean, it's always somebody sh- supplanting Rashad Vaughn every year, so maybe this year it's Sterling Brown. I would say the first one out of those two to prove that they can hit NBA threes at a consistent level will get more minutes. And to this point, I mean, Rashad Vaughn's had years to prove that he could do that, and I'm not confident of that yet. And I honestly might be more confident of Sterling Brown to do that. So I will go with Sterling Brown as well. Um... A bunch of fun questions. Um, let's go... Oh. Uh, our friend Jordan Tresky asks, uh, the number is seven. Are you over-under on how many appearances Thon makes with the, third, with the herd this year? I think this one is extremely easy. I am way under, and I think you went way under as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the over-under would be 0.5, and I would take the under on that too. Same. Um, you know, obviously having your own affiliate is different and, and presumably the Bucks will be more interested in using the herd than they were in using, you know, the um, game of Plinko or whatever they decide, however they decided to to put guys on teams uh, last year when they didn't have an affiliate. Um, it was just sort of a, you know, random kind of process for team, you know, the, the, the elite teams could basically make a claim to, to pick a, pick your, you know, the team that pick pick you know how a guy would would flush out in terms of which team he would go to if he got sent down um so i would say even though this year they do have an affiliate i i just i don't see why he would play any games with the herd unless it was like some sort of rehab situation um and peter sandvik asked and this plays into it peter peter asked will fun start again this year i have to think yes i don't you know i I can't think of any reason why he wouldn't and um i think we had another question from austin villa um um by the way is that i'm i i was was wondering if it was via yeah, well, I also I haven't I haven't uh, I, when I said Austin Villa I thought wait is this a play on Aston Villa the, yeah. the British soccer team so yeah. Austin you'll have to, you're gonna have to get back to us and let us know what what's going on there um, but Austin asks how many minutes per game do you think Thon has and maybe DJ and Sterling too so I'll ask you that question so we both think Thon is gonna start why not it worked last year pretty well uh, he played more as the season went on um, how many minutes per game do you think Thon is actually going to play because I think this one if you polled Bucks fans you would get a very wide range of answers um, I think a number of people are starting to be of a thought like oh like 28 a game and i just don't think thon is there um i just think that's i don't want to say too much for him but i I was more vocal with these concerns than you were throughout last year um i I just don't know how much his body can put up with and obviously he he held up well throughout the year last year um he went into the playoffs and played i think 18 or 19 minutes a game but to me, it almost feels like 50-50 split with him and Greg Monroe, round 24 uh, piece, and, I mean, split up those 48 minutes with those two guys at the center position, and, and you should be good to go. So 24 is probably where I imagine that number being, but I think a number of Bucks fans wanted that that number to be 28, and I just don't know that I see it. I, I might go even lower. Um, I might say, like, on average, over the course of a season, maybe it's 21, 22 minutes. 
Um, I, I think you you want to really want to get him over 20 minutes per game this year. I think just because, again, defensively he's going to give you your best shot at I think defending at a high level on a nightly basis. I think we saw that. You know, we've talked about the lineup numbers last year being impressive with on at center in the starting five. Um, and I think the big question, you know, we saw it a little bit towards the end of the season. You know, okay, you can give him sort of the, you know, it's one thing to give him the job start um, or the Mark Pope start, but can you give him? a start and then actually bring him back and, and use him in second and fourth quarters. And I think that's, that's the question. That's obviously the assumption that we're making, giving him over 20 minutes per game that he's going to start to do that. Um, but again, I mean, I don't think there's any guarantee that in the last five minutes of a close basketball game that you're necessarily going to see Thon, you know, playing center every game. Right. I mean, as long as Greg Monroe is as steady and reliable as yeah. he is, you know, as you've talked about, unfortunately, I mean, the bucks have really struggled to find, reliable offensive basketball outside of you know stuff running through Greg Monroe late in games and that's obviously um you know something I think the coaching staff has to figure out you know how do we become less reliant on Greg especially given that you know we constantly have heard about Greg Monroe being on the trade block so um I don't think anybody really expects Greg Monroe to be back a year from now and maybe he's gone before then so um probably time to start figuring out how you integrate Thon into a bigger role and um and start to really make that work not just you know the first few minutes of, of every first and third quarter but but also later in games and so hopefully we'll, we'll see him but yeah i would agree um i think especially the way he plays with the energy level he plays um yep. you know it's sort of it's kind of two questions right there's sort of the wear and tear question um i don't know maybe i'm less worried about that i don't think really thon I, i'm not aware of thon really having any injury history um but uh, other than that, the hand he hurt, I think, at the beginning of training camp last year. But um, but just from like an energy standpoint, just like, you know, last year, I think probably not playing early in the season at all probably helped him. You know, he, he really wasn't playing when guys normally start to hit the rookie wall. So he was able to kind of finish, I think, um, you know, maybe in a way that, that a lot of guys don't. So, um, so yeah, I'll say low 20s. Um, sounds like we're kind of on the same page. And again, if Greg Monroe were to be traded, then obviously you'd expect that number to probably go up a little bit. But I think, you know, until that happens, I, I think, you know, again, there's a good case to be made for maybe the optimal being that low 20s range. And hopefully a year from I, now, hopefully it'll be much more. I think we're looking at an over-under for our over-under episode, Frank. Uh, Mark it, it down. If I had a guess, I think that might be one of them. Uh, moving on to another thon question from at June's Foshiz, also Alexander Juno that you may know from the Brew Hoop comments section or just general uh, conversations on Bucks Twitter. What do you need to see from Thon this year to be sure he's worthy of being a top three banana on a title team? Frank, I man, this is a really tough question because I don't know that I see Thon being a top three banana on a title team. I don't know if that's in his future. Um, for me to feel that this year, oh man, it just feels so unrealistic for me to see something this year from him that would suggest to me that he's a top three banana on a title team that I'm struggling to even figure out how to answer this question. Well, it would have to be an, an offensive I think it's an offensive question, right? Like, what what sort of development do we need to see for, from him offensively to suggest that he could be a guy that you know you could actually I don't know run a play for, right? I mean that because I think that's sort of the question, right? Like, could he be he can become an elite role player, you know, a, a starter on an awesome team, just being a guy who you know basically picks and pops and gets some garbage buckets and then plays like high energy defense right like i think we would both agree on that right like he could start on a on a title team right okay so we agree on that so i think we want to start with that and and be clear to say that like we're not trying to say this in the sense of oh thon's just like never you know you got to find a different solution to thon like thon could be the answer at center 
but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's you know a top three type type mm-hmm. player on on a, on a team like that. So I think for me the question is, you know, if I saw him first off, is he, if his you know, and this is this is a, a big question I think regardless of whether he really kind of becomes a guy who unlocks more of a ceiling offensively, but like is that three point shooting we saw last year like the thirty eight percent like is that legit right? Like if he comes back and he shoots twenty nine percent this year, that would be a huge blow, right? Because um, him being able to stretch yeah. the floor, yeah is a big piece of, of, I think what we saw from him value wise. Now, if he can, you know, keep shooting at a reasonable rate from the th- from three and then be a guy that can attack a closeout, right? Like, okay, he picks pops. Teams are going to start hopefully wanting to close on him. Can he, you know, take a dribble or two, attack a closeout and either make a pass or get to the rim on one dribble and, and finish, right? We saw that maybe a couple times last year in terms of being able to get to the rim after yeah. a, a closeout. Um, I, I'm probably less. I mean, the post up is so so unimportant in the kind of modern NBA that I'm probably, you know, I don't know if I need to see him really become like a guy who looks comfortable in the post. Just give me um, that roll man pass. That just give me that, that roll man pass. That's yeah, exactly. It. Um, but I mean, if he averaged, you know, if he played 22 minutes per game and averaged 10 points and you know seven rebounds and held up pretty well on the defensive glass and you know blocked one and a half two shots a game and the bucks just really look good defensively with him on the court um and like you said if you can just sort of start if you can just like make those simple reads um then i would start to feel like a lot more optimistic i think about Thon's kind of long-term upside um but i think that's probably i mean my my view on him sort of long term is you know on a really good team that he's like a 12 point eight board you know elite defense type guy like that's more of i don't want to say that's like his absolute ceiling but to me that's like yeah. his really good outcome type type thing and i think it's a very attainable outcome um but but yeah so maybe that's a little bit lower than a lot of people but but you know yeah i think that's the big maybe this is just a lockdown bucks thing but i think both of us are kind of of the belief that there's not those upper level skills that are going to take him to be an elite offensive player that he's always just going to be more of a, a nice piece offensively and then the hope would be that he'd be elite defensively and and maybe that's just because we're overprotective or uh of maybe expecting too much of him or may, maybe I think it a big part of it is both of us did not see him as this insane upside guy when the Bucks drafted him. Like the the big thing was like, oh man, did you see him handle the ball? Did you see him cross over? Bam, out of bio. Did you see him do all this stuff? And I was like, eh, yeah, but like, he doesn't really have those skills. So I mean, if if a to answer this question, if a dribble skill is real, like yeah, okay, he, he could be a top three banana. Do I think it's likely? No. Do I think it's incredibly unlikely that that's not a real skill for him? Yes. Um, so, uh, I, I don't know. I, I I would need to see a, a very significant improvement this year to even believe that he could be a third banana type. Like, I, I just don't see that for him. And also, I think it's important to interject here that Thon last year played in 57 games, started 34 of them, played 9.9 minutes per game and averaged four points per game. And when I say that, I feel like a lot of people would probably recoil there and say, no, no, he had more than that last year. 
that and I understand like there was a bunch of garbage time games included in that and, and there's a bunch of other things included in that and not playing at the start of the year I get all that but like there just is a lot to be improved upon and playing 82 games and playing an entire season like these are still things that he needs to do so i i think there's still a lot there um and maybe that's getting a little bit too far out front on on thon thinking that he could be the top three banana type on a on a title team but again maybe that's just me being a little bit too pessimistic on thon as a prospect overall yeah we'll see i mean again if thon is is that type of player then i think that's huge because I think that yes. fundamentally changes the the kind of upside of the Bucks' current roster, and I think the idea of just sort of, you know, putting the the current roster on cruise control and just saying, okay, we're just going to roll with these guys and see how far we can go. Then I think that becomes a lot more defensible. But you know, again, um, I think that we're trying to be a little bit cautious around that. Um, by the way, we never we never answered the question uh, about DJ Wilson and. Uh, and Sterling Brown, uh, do, do you have an over/under on minutes for them this year that you have in your head? Oh, um, let's see. Last year, Beasley had sixteen point seven minutes per game. I think that's probably the over/under for DJ Wilson, and I think it's probably lower than that, right? Yeah, I mean, to me, it was like I don't think he's gonna—he's not gonna—I don't think he's gonna be an every game type guy. I think what Beasley played in 56, 56 games, yeah. yeah so I, I don't know. Maybe it's, um, you know. 60 games and 14 minutes per game, something like that. I think, um, I think if, if, if the Bucks roster as it currently stands is what they carry into the regular season in terms of the, the forwards, then he's going to have to play some minutes, right? Like with Jabari out most of the season, he's going to have to play some, like they're, they're not going to be able to just completely ignore him. Um, and you could argue the same thing for, for Sterling Brown, just because again, maybe he gets some of those small forward minutes that Beasley got, which I think he got more than, than he got at, at the power forward spot. So, um, so yeah, I could see DJ Wilson getting, I don't know, 14 minutes a game and 60 games or something like that. I could see, um, I could see Sterling Brown getting something similar, but I think there's probably, you know, again, using that, those jet minutes as a proxy, you know, could, could Sterling Brown even get 20 minutes per game, especially if there's an injury to God forbid, Chris Middleton or something like that. I think, you know, unfortunately all that stuff is, is in play this year. Yeah. I'm trying to, I almost, I think Sterling Brown's role would probably be less, but at the same time, I don't know how much you want to use jet and then just trying to defi- trying to figure out where you distribute, the Jabari Parker minutes, I guess. For the most part, you would say, okay, Middleton will just take those over for the start of the season, but uh, there was more minutes to go around at the start of the season. So um, maybe Sterling's probably in that 10-minute range, but then it's just the tough part of figuring out how many games they actually appear in. Uh, I think that's always probably a little bit tougher than figuring out how many minutes may be allotted to them. Um, Let's see, one... I think there's some more hypothetical um, in like roster move questions, but this one from Brogdon Brogdanovich at Broggy B on Twitter threw us for a loop, if I'm being totally honest, uh, because we we asked each other this question when we first saw it on Twitter, and I don't know if we had a good answer. So he asked, is Giannis, relative to his peers, better at offense or defense? Which which way are you going, Frank? This is a this is a really interesting question. I thought because we, fortunately, we don't have to choose normally, right? We we get all of Giannis, and and obviously that's what makes Giannis so special. It's not just the fact that he 
gives you one side of the ball. He gives you both. And, and he, I think, you know, even last year we, we saw him start to do that at an elite level. I mean, the fact that he's all NBA, uh, second team, all defensive second team, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. So, um, it, it was interesting. I, th- I know we were talking about this before the call um, because it, it is I think it is sort of a tough one. I, my, my initial thought was and I don't know if you want to play devil's advocate on this. If not, I can do it, too. But um, my initial thought was that uh, especially because offense is, I think, more important. I think that Giannis's offensive versatility and the fact that he can play like a big and he can play like a small outside of the three point shooting. Um, but in terms of like being able to make plays and score in so many different ways, I felt like offensively it, it was probably more of a, of a, an elite, he's more elite offensively than defensively. Um, his RPM on offense is a little bit better than his RPM on defense. His, um, I think I was looking at his, his on off numbers. Um, and they paint, I, I think a pretty, uh, pretty similar picture to, to you know what we've been saying. Um, the Bucks were 1.7 points per 100 better with him offensively. Uh, they were 1.9 points per 100 better defensively. So about even, you know, again slightly better <laughs> defensively if you yeah. use that metric. So I don't think you'd really go wrong. Um, but I don't know. Maybe and and maybe this is the wrong way to think about it. But my first gut reaction was offense, just because. Um, it's probably more important that you have an elite player offensively um, than defensively. But but I don't know. I think you can convince me either way. Yeah, I, I, to me, that's kind of where it all starts is because I, I tend to view a player's value as like 60% offensive value and 40% defensive value. And maybe that's a little bit extreme. Um, but I know we always talk about like the best two-way player. And it's like, well, I don't know if defensive value is as equal or is equal to offensive value. So um, I guess that's kind of where the conversation has to start. Um, But at the same time, I just think about everything that we've seen him do uh, defensively is crazy impressive. (laughs) There's not a lot of guys that, and and I guess you can say the same thing offensively. There's not a lot of guys that do what Giannis does offensively. And there's not a lot of guys that do what Giannis does defensively. And, it's just funny because I was thinking about, okay, how do I attempt to try to settle this down? And I was like, okay, well, let's look at offensively. And, and again, rebounds is both offensive and defensive. But just putting together like 22 points, eight rebounds, five assists, there's four guys in the league that did it last year. Um, and obviously last year, as I was writing the case for Giannis as an all-defensive first, uh, as an all-defense member, I wrote about how only what was it like three or four guys uh, had done two assi- or two steals and two blocks per game for a season um, in the last like 25 years so what he's doing on both sides of the ball is incredibly rare I really want to say defense just because I think it's crazy impressive that he can both get those steals and get those blocks because not many guys in the league can do that um, but ultimately I don't know if he makes the same impact defensively as the best centers in the league, like a Rudy Gobert type, uh, or even like a Draymond Green. I don't know if he makes that same type of impact, but I know he does make that impact offensively. So ultimately, I probably go with offense. Yeah, I, I will say this. I mean, I think if you look at you know his offensive game and his defensive game, 
his offensive game, he still has obviously one area where he can still dramatically improve and, and where he is decidedly not elite, which is in his in his shooting. Um, defensively, there is no kind of glaring flaw, right? I mean, defensively, it's like, well, what does Giannis need to improve on? It's it's little things, right? I mean, you, you wouldn't say like, oh, Giannis needs to do this, and then he become can become an elite defender. I mean, granted, you wouldn't say that you know he needs a jump shot to be an elite offensive player either. I think we're kind of over that, but um, but I, I would agree. This is a great question that we the fact that we can debate this that you know is he more elite offensively <laughs> defensively is is a pretty awesome place to be. So um, so I don't know if if there's if we miss any angles of this, let us know. Tweet at us. Um, but I think it's a, it's a fun topic. So good question, um, and uh, gl- thankfully we, we we just get to have both. Speaking of getting to have both, Frank. When you shop with SeatGeek, you get to have both a great price on a ticket and a great app to search for tickets because the SeatGeek app does it all for you. It's so incredibly simple. They find all of the best tickets for every single game, every single event. Whatever it is you may need tickets to, they are going to help you find the best deals for that event and they do that by going to all the other ticket sites for you and finding the best deals and putting them onto one single page all you got to do is go find the event you want and then it'll grade out all the deals it'll show you the green dots which are the great ones the red dots which are the not so good ones and you'll be able to find exactly what it is that you're looking for so uh Geek has always been so helpful and uh their product is fantastic and that's why uh we always talk about SeatGeek on this podcast because it is all so good and SeatGeek always has the promo code code for you and using the promo code is incredibly easy all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app go to the settings tab go to enter a promo code enter promo code l-o-n-b-a again l-o-n-b-a for locked on nba and you'll get a 20 dollars rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase so go head over to SeatGeek and do that today great prices uh the great product that they put together all of the best deals on tickets all for you there on SeatGeek so go out and do that today so during this week, I had a number of cereal questions because I listed off my top five cereal and then uh, <laughs> got into some de- some debates about breakfast, etc. Um, we got a question from Natastic28, um, at Natastic15028. What cereal would each Bucks players be? Uh, would each Bucks player be? And what I'm thinking, Frank, is I should star this. And we've talked about doing this before, but but our good friend Jonathan Zuckerbrod um, Mr. Sugarbread, uh, this seems like the ridiculous type of question that would be perfect for him. And I know we talked about trying to get him on a pod last year, and I think we should we should probably try to do that again. This we should actually try to get it, and like this is like the exact this is the exact type of question that would be be perfect for him. So so maybe we'll we'll save this one uh, for later. But he's uh, strategy and sponsorship with the Bucks, and he obviously is. Always around Buck's Twitter with all sorts of ridiculous gifts and photoshops. So uh, maybe we'll save that for him. What do you think? But yeah, well, what important question? What what is your top? What are your top cereals um, for for anybody who is curious? Because now, I, I, as we found out, this is a hotly debated uh, topic, and I don't want to turn this entire mailbag into a cereal mailbag or a breakfast mailbag. Um, but just give the people just at least a quick sample. Um, I'm trying to think what I see because it was. It was a highly de- – I debated the topic internally quite a bit yesterday. Um, so I'm just trying to scroll through my tweets and make sure that I get my, my top five correct. 
Um, cause eventually what it turned into was me arguing with people about, uh, eggs and how good <laughs> or bad eggs are relative to other breakfast foods. Um, but my top five, number one was frosted flakes, two cinnamon toast crunch, three captain crunch, captain crunch, excuse me, not captain crunch. Uh, number four <laughs> fruit loops and number five, honey nut Cheerios. That was my top five, uh, People did not enjoy me including Captain Crunch because Captain Crunch uh, cuts the roof of your mouth. I believe uh, our friend Canada Bucks asked how I could include something that did that, and I just say, you know, you got to eat through the pain sometimes, um, and, and and it's worth it for for the re- the reward of delicious Captain Crunch. But those are my top five. Yeah, I, and I feel like uh, I, all I can say is those are better answers than uh, our friend Mitchell Maurer from Brew Hoop, who said that his number one favorite was regular Cheerios, see, which... See, I was totally convinced he said regular Cheerios because he has a, a small child. Um, and when my niece and nephew were around, like little kids, Cheerios is a good thing for them to eat because it's easy to eat. And I found myself thinking like, man, have I been wrong on Cheerios the whole time? Because Cheerios were just like around just around the house when they were when they were here and i was just like just eating cheerios all the time i was like you know what maybe cheerios are okay so that's why i was thinking but he said it's been his favorite his entire life and i don't understand yeah and i believe he even referred to them as regular ass cheerios regular ass like, cheerios, should, shouldn't me, that be a big warning sign yeah th- i think that would indicate just how little he respects his own favorite cereal um i am a big fan of honey nut cheerios um my Delicious. my kind of and I, I will say this too, like there might be some ridiculously tasty, like super sugary cereals that have been invented that I'm not aware of. Like I, when I've been in the grocery store, I think there's like 18 different kinds of cinnamon toast crunch. Yeah. But like when I think about my favorite cereals that are also like cereals you could actually eat on a semi-regular basis and not feel like you're just eating candy, um, I would say cinnamon toast crunch. That might be my, yeah. my all-time favorite. Haven't had it in a while, but but now I'm feeling like I may need to go get it. Um I'm also a fan of Honey Nut Cheerios. I'm a fan of uh, of Crispix, actually. Oh, Crispix. Crispix was one of my final cuts. I love Crispix. Yeah, Crispix is good. Um, I I always liked Raisin Bran. It's boring, but I liked Raisin Bran. And then um and then I, I the sugar cereal I enjoy I enjoy most will always be will always be my favorite. I think is Lucky Charms. Yep. Um, and my only answer um my only answer to this question uh the actual question that was posed Nate Tast from Nate Tastic. I feel like if I was gonna pick for Giannis to be a cereal, I would I would say Lucky Charms because it's got so much versatility. Um, <laughs> you know, it's got the it's got the sweets, yeah. it's got the like whole grain crap in there so it's not just totally terrible for you um but it's got so many different kinds it delivers tastiness in so many different kind of ways all the different shapes um you know so what i'm gonna like give him i think i think chris middleton would be frosted flakes just, just i think there's some dependability like, but also there's a little sugar to be had there and there's a little sweetness but it's just solid like it's just a solid maybe it's honey nut, maybe he's honey nut cheerios that describes Honey Nut Cheerios, I feel, more accurately. Yeah, like maybe when he was just like a jump shooter, he was regular Cheerios, and then he yeah. added that like a little bit yeah. of like, a little bit of like, you know, side pick and roll game. Then he added, then it became Honey no, Nut. No, I think that's um, fair. Chris Middleton is Honey Nut Cheerios. Yeah, okay. Um, and then I don't know, like Greg Monroe is like Raisin Bran or something <laughs> like that, just like hearty, you know, like, I, I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm, let's just move on to hey, the I, I say Hey, I would say we, we answered that for two players so that's more than i ever expected us to get done so that was yeah. pretty solid um all right let's move to the tactics section um bucks nation at bucks nation 34 asks us what are the most effective types of actions to run with chris how should that differ with and without Giannis? and i guess i would start
start by saying uh, the big one to me is, you know, if you can just get him into the post and post like, <laughs> hopefully he gets pushed out a little bit and he's taking a fadeaway jump. No, uh, that was, that was mean. Um, but yeah, the, hopefully that would not be the case. Um, I think a, a lot of the stuff for Chris, when I try to think of similar type players, part of me wants to say, I just want to give him the Gordon Hayward expansion pack that was used in Utah, where they use like a lot of dribble handoffs, a lot of him coming off screens. Um, it's just a lot of stuff that maybe it's not perfect for, maybe it's a little underdeveloped for like a true, like pick and roll stud, but for a guy that is good in those situations and maybe just needs an extra step i feel like some of the handoffs they do uh some of the screens they bring him off of um i think a lot of that could really work for chris yeah and i I think the question about you know well with Giannis versus without Giannis, i mean we saw chris could could run like the little side pick and rolls i think him and greg monroe showed good understanding with that i mean that's the kind of thing i'd probably want to see more when he's you know for instance lineups where he's on the court with greg monroe but Giannis is getting a blow right i mean um i think this year you'd like to see you know very few lineups where neither Giannis nor chris are on the court unless it's like a blowout or something like that um you'd like to see them try to to stagger minutes um and i think when they're on the court together i think you would like to see um Giannis be a guy that that is you know more of the focal point more of the creator granted he's also good off the ball He's can, you know, be the screener in a pick and roll action, et cetera. But um, but I think with Chris, um, you know, I, I want to see Chris stretching the floor with Giannis on the court. So I want to see him, um, you know, moving off the ball um, and spotting up off the ball. And so when Giannis's gravity can come into to play and, and teams do collapse on Giannis because he is able to get into the paint. You know, I want to see Chris being able to take advantage of that. And I, and I don't want him doing that 18 feet from the basket. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I think, you know, generally, I mean, this is sort of, maybe this is overly simplifying, but I want to see Chris off the ball when Giannis is on the court. And I want to see Chris on the ball more when, when Giannis is, is on, is off the court. Um, just because again, I think, you know, when, when Giannis is on the court, you know, you want to stretch the floor around him. It's so essential from, from a, you know, a playmaking standpoint. And I forget who was it, um, who wrote, somebody wrote us, was it Nick, Nick's how, how how do you pronounce his last name? Nick Scarisha. Somebody wrote a piece on uh, Giannis and Chris playing together, and sort of Giannis is playmaking with Chris um, on the court together. And um, and I think that's probably an instructive one for for this question as well. If, if people haven't checked it out, we may need to go dig that up and retweet it for people in the next twenty four hours. Yeah, I, I think your general ideas are are pretty good. Um, I think I would agree with much of it. Um, the only thing I wonder is if. Giannis is such a good cutter that maybe maybe Chris is the ideal person to find him on some of that off-ball action that you can run that side pick and roll uh, with him out there and then you can get a cut from Giannis on the backside uh, just because some of the cuts Giannis has to make because people are already there like end up having to be a little bit tighter and maybe you need a little bit more talented passer. Um, so I think that... That maybe could be a way where we would differ a little bit, where I don't necessarily mind the Middleton action quite as much. But overall, yeah, you want Giannis to have the ball while Middleton is out there. And Giannis is obviously a bit of a strange player to build around. Um, So without that jumper, you want to maximize that shooting and that spacing for him. Uh, And having the ball in his hands is the easiest way to do that. So um, I think that's... 
I think that's about it. Um, I mean, anytime you can use flare cuts, hammer screw. I, I, I mean, I, don't, I can't even think of the last time I saw the Bucks uh, run a backside hammer for Chris Middleton. So if they ever want to do that, I'd be super down with that. Um, but yeah, anything the Bucks can do to make that backside more active, I, I think that's largely a thing that they struggle with. And I think uh, Chris can really be used as a weapon there. Um, I think to two years ago, they used to run flares for Jared Bayless endlessly endlessly and jared bayless was really good as a spot-up guy uh two years ago and part of me just wondered like why doesn't chris get any of that like that's the guy i want like use all of that action for for chris middleton so um hopefully we get to see a little bit more of that uh this upcoming year um what what and one thing i'd add there um Zach Lowe in, in a recent pod, I think it was a podcast, maybe it was with, with Howard Beck, um, noted that LeBron led the league by a mile in terms of assists of on corner threes. It was like 162. Um, and that kind of got me curious. I wasn't able to find where, where Zach got that specific, the corner three assist at, but um, I did look up assists to, to three-pointers. Um, and LeBron led the league at, at nearly five three-point assists per game, about 4.7 per game last year. Giannis only 2.4. And so that's kind of one of those things, again, when you think about, like, okay, how do you, you know, it's really basic logic, right? How do you construct a, you know, a lineup around Giannis? You put shooters out there, um, you spread the court, and then you let Giannis go to work and and have him try to find those guys when the defense collapses. And obviously part of that is is on Giannis as well. Like, you know, how can Giannis become better at seeing guys in corners? How do the Bucs make sure that they actually have guys standing in those corners (laughs) looking for those shots? It's crazy Um, how good LeBron is at that. Yeah, like, like in yeah, Cleveland, like but, they don't even move that much. Like for Kyle Corver, they move a bunch of stuff, but like LeBron will just get the ball, hold on to it for five seconds, and then take one dribble a certain way, get someone leaning, and then oh, there's a corner three. He's he's incredible. Yeah, and and so that that will be interesting. And interesting thing, so in 2015-16, I think Giannis was about four assists a game total. Um, only 0.8 per game were for three pointers, so he didn't do it at all, and then tripled it last year to 2.4. Hand, so at least it's heading in the right those direction. Those handoffs were money for him. Yeah, exactly. Right. The, the the dribble to the corner, handoff for Tony Snell, quick hitter three. That was a play that, that worked really well with Tony Snell. Hopefully you'll see that a lot more. Um, also a play you can run with Chris Middleton, obviously, oh, since he'll, he'll play similar. How much fun is that? Clear out a side, dribble handoff for Chris, and he either gets a three or he gets to attack, and Giannis is the roller on an isolated wing. Like That could be a lot of fun. Yeah. So anyway, we're, we're, we're actually maybe we're actually coming up with some ideas that are, that are not bad here. But um, anyway, <laughs> uh, next. What, what, what's the next question? The next tactics related question is from friend of the pod, Kurt Lightinger, or is it do you think it's Lightinger? I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm going to go Lightinger. I don't I've never heard Kurt Kurt say his name out loud. So I'll just go Lightinger until further. OK, uh, do you guys think they make any adjustments to the D ever? And does kid get Chris to shoot more threes and less tough shot express shots, which uh, I think we need to put a CC on for Steve on Horn. Uh, but as we were, I guess as we were kind of talking about it there a little bit, um, I think those are those are two very important questions as the season moves forward. I'll start with the defensive one, um, and you can hop in there as well. No, like, like it's <laughs> it's been three years, right? Like the defense is still the same, and it was great in the first year, awful in the second, and mediocre to bad in the third so no i don't think they're gonna and and again maybe that's a little bit uh too much of an oversimplification i I know uh during the playoffs uh dwayne casey got upset with me when i mentioned something about how the bucks weren't probably going to end up making a bunch of adjustments and he was like well 
I mean, that's not true. Like, they've been making adjustments throughout the entire series. Like, things change from game to game and these type of things. Um, so I do think there is a level of nuance to adjustment. But overall adjustment, I, I don't... I can't imagine. Um, I think last year the Bucks got a little bit better at not being as over-aggressive on the backside and giving up that, that very first skip pass. If you can imagine James Harden, James Harden making it from the right wing over the top to the left-hand corner, like I think that pass probably uh, got taken down a little bit. And I, I think maybe that's why you see the difference between 19th where they were in defense last year to 20... Oh, I can't remember what it was the year before. Um I think that's why you see a slight improvement, but largely, no, I don't I don't think they're going to make any adjustments. And on top of that, I really don't think they're going to make any adjustments because this might be the personnel that's best suited for this defense. Among all three, all of those teams thus far, this will be the fourth year, of all those teams, uh, this is the one best suited to run this defense, right? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the put up or shut up year, I think, for for Jason Kidd's defense. Um, and I, I think, I, I mean, qualitatively, I have no numbers to back this up. It felt like they did, you know, they brought sort of that opposite baseline double less often as the season went on. I mean, it's just stuff like that, like. You know, just sort of the really half-assed double teams. You know, it's just like where it's like not even the players seem to really believe in what they were doing. And that's the kind of stuff that you think, again, you may may see some some types of tweaks in. But I mean, are the Bucks gonna again? Are the Bucks gonna become suddenly really conservative, like you know, zone drop, pick and roll? Like you know, are they going to you know never trap? Are they going to you know never bring bring extra help from from the weak side over to the strong side? Well, I mean, that would be a pretty big change. Yeah. So um, again, I think there are ways that you can play a good defense in the modern NBA with some of the same principles. I think it's just a question. Do they find the right, the right balance? So, um, so I guess we, we will have to see. Um, and as far as Chris goes, yeah, I mean like it's the thing we talk about every year about Christian more threes. And I think it's, it's on him. It's on the coaching staff. Um, I mean the coaching staff in general, obviously historically has not shown a huge proclivity for trying to get lots of threes up. Um, but Chris also doesn't seem like he's a guy who, you know, like Chris is the kind of guy. Like if a guy flies by him, like he seems like he wants to take a dribble in yeah. and shorten a shot, right? Like he he isn't. Or like even if there's like a to... chance that that guy might fly by, I feel like he wants to take take a dribble. Like he to yeah. to me, he always feels very much of the idea that oh, I'm still six eight, like I can attack and and get to the basket. I, I don't know. That's always the thing that I struggle with when we talk about Chris shooting more threes is obviously uh, there could be a lot of more action ran for that. But at the same time, I don't know if Chris has like the Tony Snell kind of opinion of himself that just like open three, I have to shoot it. Like I can't do anything else. So I have to shoot these threes. I always think that maybe Chris thinks there's a little bit more and certainly the coaching staff think there's, there's a little bit more to his game that he can do some more. Um, so yeah, I think it's on, I think it's on both, both parties have to want to shoot more threes and we've written thousands of words on it at this point. Um, so yeah, ho- hopefully it happens, but yeah, I think both parties have to have to want to be a part of that. All right. Um, Next question from Dan Hoppin. What's an unusual lineup combo that hasn't been used or talked about much that you'd like to see get some run this year? Um, any, any Anything that jump out to you? I mean, we, we, I mean we've talked to lots about sort of the starting five that we saw towards the end of the year and how successful that was. Anything weirder or, or new? Obviously, we've seen most of this team together with the exception of the rookies. So, but anything that kind of jumps out of you that you'd like to see them try to do more this well, year? Well, I mean, I think the obvious one that 
is often talked about but rarely used is center Giannis, right? Like j- right, just yep. going with him a lot. But uh, the it, I was I was struggling when I saw used slash talked about because I was like, well, we've talked about that a bunch um, using Giannis as a center, uh, but it hasn't been used. And when it has been used, it hasn't been it really hasn't been particularly effective. Um, so maybe seeing that and giving that some more run and maybe seeing that be productive this year, um, that that could be nice. Um, but, uh, man, I'm trying to think of, of other strange combinations. And I don't know, maybe, maybe something where you go totally non-traditional um, with some, like, not playing Brogdon or Delhi and... Going, let's see, Middleton, Snell, Giannis, Toledovich, Than, like something like that, where there's no true or quote unquote true point guard on the floor, neither Brogdon or Delhi, um, and you do something a little bit weirder there. But I don't even know how much that gets you, or if I'm really all that intrigued by it. It's tough for me to think of of things that haven't been used because, like you said, much of this roster is just going to be back this year. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I thought of was was you know, center Giannis lineups. Um, and specifically one thing that we talked about, we saw a little bit last year was Giannis and Mirza together on the court playing the big spots. And, you know, again, kind of academic a little bit, whether Mirza or Giannis is defending the the nominal center in those lineups, especially because a lot of times the other team is going to go small as well. But um, it was interesting because I thought the the numbers sort of worked against them and they were actually, inver- they ended up being ineffective with those lineups. I, I was just on NBAWowie.com, great website, for lineup combinations. And I just ran Giannis and Mirza together with Monroe, Henson, Haas, and Maker all off the court. So basically no traditional center on the court. Um, and actually, they, they were a plus last year. 100 minutes, um, those lineups um, were 1.0, basically a shade under 109 points per 100 scored um, and a little over 106 points per 100 allowed. Um, but again, it's like such a small sample size. It's only plus four, you know, 203 points scored, 199 allowed um, in, in that sample. So again, that's just, you know, again, it's a pretty small sample, but um, for obvious reasons, um, you know, and, and here's the thing, like, I, I still don't think the Bucks actually like, you know, the whole point of doing that is you get the ball to Giannis and then you, you just spread her out around it. Right. And, yeah. and I don't even know if the Bucks always, played that you know it's like it's like they kind of then just played like their normal <laughs> offense where Giannis was a lot yeah. of times you know off the ball and things like that um but Giannis's numbers in those lineups um he averaged about 29 points per 36 on 60 percent true shooting in those lineups so um he had no problem scoring whatsoever um and again uh, I don't know if it even matters like you know the specifics of all the different guys around them as long as you've got sort of you know shooters uh and versatile guys around him um then that it could work. So we'll see. Um, I think, you know, certainly at least getting rid of Spencer Hawes means one less big guy on the roster. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, again, I, I imagine John Henson, Don Maker, and Greg Monroe will, will be on the roster the rest of the year. But if any of those guys get hurt, um, I think certainly we, we may be, you know, more likely to see something something with the honest playing playing a big spot. All right, moving on to trade slash roster moves question. Uh, there's a couple, there's two similar ones here, one from Blue Eagle at Blue Eagle at blue underscore eagle underscore 11. In your opinion, do the Bucks need to make trades to unload the Henson slash Telly contracts or is waiting them out a valid option for the next couple of years? Um, and Bill Canzanari at Bill Canzanari asks, do you think the Bucks trade one of Mirza, Deli, Monroe, or Henson by the trade deadline? If so, would love to hear trade evaluations. I will start here. 
I think the Bucks would have loved to unload any of those contracts and would love to unload them at just about any moment. Aside from aside, Delhi. aside from Delhi, I think if anyone offered to take on those contracts, they would happily send them along. Now, if someone would happily do that while also taking on a first-round pick, I don't think they would like that. Or even, I don't even know if they'd want to move it with a second-round pick. Like, uh, maybe they would, um, but even there, I, I don't know how interesting uh, that really is for the Bucks. So I, I think this entire summer they've been trying to move those deals. No one in the league is really taking on money. I mean, you saw how the free agency market kind of dried up at the end of the year. Like, there's not a lot of money. Like, there's not a lot of teams that have money. Um, and even some of the teams that did, like the Nets, surprisingly took on money this year. When I thought, okay, maybe they would save some of that up. So um, I don't think there's I don't think there's a lot of people taking on money. So uh, it's it's ultimately difficult to unload any of those contracts. Yeah, I mean, this is and, and you know a lot of people have have asked like, okay, is, is now the time when when expiring contracts become more valuable next year? Mirza Tladovic becomes an expiring contract this year. Greg Monroe is an expiring contract. I mean, the problem is you can't you can't clear future cap room by trading expiring contracts for stuff. I mean, the whole point is if you want cap room, you let those deals expire. And if you want to accelerate your track to cap space, then you probably need to attach you know assets to less desirable contracts to get rid of them. Um, and so far, the Bucks have been resistant to that. And honestly, I I don't blame them because as we said on our last podcast, I I think. Free agency is for the most part fool's gold. Um, and, you know, being able to, you know, I don't think it's worth giving up a first round pick just so you can go out and spend the full mid-level, for instance. Like, I just I just don't think you're going to get a good enough player to justify giving up a first round pick, even if you're going to be drafting, you know, more towards the middle or, or, in, or in the early 20s, as the Bucks hope to be doing moving forward, just because those first round picks, the, the cap control uh, on them and the cost control is just so, so significant. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think if they could have dumped Mirza Monroe, maybe Monroe as well, um, or, or certainly Henson, but Mirza and Henson for sure. Um, I would agree with you on Delhi. I think as you've mentioned, I think if they wanted to just get rid of Delhi for a shorter term contract, they probably could, could find a taker for that. Um, and Greg Monroe, I feel like I probably like Greg Monroe more than the Bucks organization does. At this point. <laughs> um, I, I, I think, I think if they if they dealt him if they had dealt him just into some team's cap space, I think I think they would have missed him. To be honest, um, now granted, you know uh, th- this is based on the assumption that he can kind of continue to do what he did last year. You never know. Maybe you know he regresses this year. Tough to say. Um, but Even I think so, his skill if set, you could dump that, and it was the same thing we talked about earlier this summer. Like if. If Monroe either didn't opt in or you moved him once he did opt in, you you were still not going to have money. Like, right, yeah. Like, the, the, yeah, this year it didn't matter. Like, no yeah. matter what, this year it didn't matter. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you might as well keep, like, unless you were getting value for him and not just getting rid of him, like, you might as well keep Greg Monroe because he wasn't going to affect the bottom line at all this year. Like, you were actively deciding, okay, do we want this asset or do we not want this asset? Because you're you're not you're not able to add anything like like there was no right. there was no way to fill that money that you gave away from Greg Monroe for another player right and if you're trading Greg Monroe who's an expiring contract are you taking back multiple years in which case no, thank you know you. then you're then you're limiting your your future cap flexibility um but I, and I tweeted out um sort of a, a couple of graphics today updated kind of visualizations of what the cap space looks like. 
now, uh, kind of the, as of right now for this season, and also then for currently what the, what it would look like next summer based on the current roster. Um, and you know, basically, I mean, we've talked about it, but Jabari Parker having a twenty million dollars cap hold really means that even if you got rid of like one of those bad contracts, I mean, you're, you wouldn't really project to have any cap space next summer either. Um, you're probably going to be in a bet, much better position as far as not having to, you know, make any moves to to get under the luxury tax, um, which would be nice because um, obviously this year, you know, having to stretch Spencer Hawes to kind of control your own destiny as far as the, the luxury tax goes is, you know, again, it's not ideal uh, by any stretch. So, um, so I think we'll, we'll have to see just sort of uh, how that evolves. But um, I, I think, you know, in general, um, you know, Blue Eagle, this other question, um, a couple couple questions we had. Blue Eagle asked, I'm mainly interested if there are upcoming free agents that would be worth aggressively pursuing cap space for in the next two to three off seasons. Basically, next season, I don't think there's I don't think there's a you know that you're going to have the mid level. Right. So you're talking about like mid tier, like decent yeah. type, you know rotation maybe a rotation guy um phil landau asked um i love the 2019 fa class a lot of unknowns but what's our cap situation that summer who would you target kemba rubio others um and <laughs> i have no idea who's in the 2019 yeah i mean no I, idea i'm not even gonna pretend yeah like I, do. <laughs> I think i think uh, yeah i i honestly didn't either so phil you, you kind of caught us with our uh our uh metaphorical pants on that one um I, and honestly i think it's like too far out to even really be schema on that because it's like you know what is malcolm brogdon is malcolm brogdon the guy that you're going to want to give a huge contract to because he ended up being a good point guard and you think he's a starter on a really good team or did he regress and now you're like oh damn we really need a point guard you know like i there's so many variables right now with the bucks um that i'm not even sure like what you'd want to do i mean two two nba years is an eternity it, it really is it really is i mean and you hope again you hope that tony snell is who he was Last year that, you know, he can be a role playing starter. You hope that Malcolm Brogdon continues to grow and becomes, you know, maybe somewhere close to an average, maybe an average, I don't know, an average to not bad starter who actually just fits yeah. super well and, and just compliments your guys really well. And um, Chris Middleton eventually resigns. I mean, th- that's one of the big variables. If you talk about the 2019 summer, you know, if you talk about like what, you know, what does the Bucks situation look like at that point? Um, you know, as of now, the biggest contracts you have going into the 1920 season, you've got Giannis at almost 26 million. Henson is an expiring that year um, at close to 10 million. Delavidova expiring uh, 9.6 million. Um, Tony Snell will be making 11.4 that year in his third year of his contract. Um, so, you know, basically those those four big contracts um, add up to almost 70 million. The cap projects to, let's say, around 109 that year. Um, so, you, you know, you, you're kind of five biggest contracts um, are about 40 million under the cap, uh, the projected cap. Uh, and then you've got a bunch of smaller contracts, you know, Thon, DJ Wilson um, are, are on their rookie deals. Um, but you have to make decisions um, around, again, Middleton has a player option for that year of 13 million. Well, he's not going to take that, right? Um, his cap hold will be about 20 million. Um, so what are you signing Chris Middleton Oof. to? You know? is, is he still around? Is he still part of the franchise? Malcolm Brogdon's a free, a free agent. He has a really small cap hold, so that gives you a window to maybe add a big piece. That's probably your best chance. You know, in theory, you could have max cap space that summer. Um, so I think a big question is, you know, is Chris Middleton still part of your future? There, he'll be what twenty eight years old. Has Giannis is Malcolm- made a super friend? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, he'll be what twenty six going on twenty seven that year, so he'll be really deep in. You know, he'll be right smack dab in the middle of his prime. Um, are you locking yourself into a big Malcolm Brogdon contract? What are you doing? Rashad Vaughn is a free agent that summer. Eric, decision time. They pick up his Do team you option. max him? I don't know. <laughs> He has a he has an he has an eight point seven million dollar uh, cap hold that summer, which uh, let's just say I'm I'm not going to assume will will be a uh, uh, an, you know something that prevents them from adding a big name if they need to, but um, but yeah, and then you know it's it's uh, it's it'll be a really interesting summer. I think that's the summer you highlight um, if you want to talk about okay, you know that that you've got Giannis squarely in his prime, hopefully contending for MVPs. Hopefully Chris Milton has played great and, you know, you're looking to, to lock him up for a long time and, and kind of keep going. Hopefully Thon has become that third banana that we've questioned he can be. Yep. Um, and the, the big variable that we haven't talked about, um, you know, the thing that could prevent you from having max cap space, Jabari Parker. You know, what do you do with him in 2018? He's got this big cap hold. Um, what does a Jabari Parker contract looks like? it look like if you keep him? Um, or, or does he, does he, uh, end up someplace else through some move, which again, I have no idea. I, I'm fairly certain that he will not be traded to the New York Knicks for Carmelo Anthony. Um, that, that was an annoying quote unquote rumor, but, um, it, it felt like most people understood that, that him being like presumably brought up by the Knicks doesn't really mean anything. Like, but, how do you even um, get there? Like, so the Knicks are having this conversation with the Rockets. And the Rockets are in their head thinking, um, no, we're not going to pay for Melo because you're going to buy Melo out and then we'll do this. So one, you're starting the conversation there. And then the Knicks tell the Rockets like, well, you know, it'd be nice, a Jabari Parker type guy. And the Rockets are like, oh, okay, like, what do you want us to do about it? Well, you know, maybe Jabari Parker. Well, okay, well, we don't have Jabari Parker, so I don't know why you keep bringing up Jabari Parker. And uh, I, how that even, how that came to be is beyond me. Because I cannot find, especially now that the Rockets have moved all of like their uh, more complimentary pieces, like, okay, if it was Pat Bev and Decker and like a bunch of guys that could somehow make sense, like, okay. Maybe I can understand Jabari Parker's name being brought up, but neither of those pieces, neither of those teams have pieces that make any sense. Yeah, it's weird because Ryan Anderson is always mentioned as the guy that would go out right for for Houston, but he's owed three years and sixty million, and nobody wants that, right? <laughs> including the including the Bucks, and right? The, I mean, and the my Bucks favorite thing is either. they keep saying like, "Well, you know, the Bucks are trying to unload cap space," and they keep talking about rent. No, that's not like one of those things has to be true. Either they're trying to get rid of cap space, or they're interested in Ryan Anderson. Like those two things can't happen at the same time because Ryan Anderson makes more money than all of those people that keep matching on the bucks that are be the people you would move to clear cap space that the, the only the only thing i can think of is like do the bucks just or are the bucks just inserting themselves and saying and basically just trying to see if there's some way that they can pawn off some of those guys that people always talk about trying to move right yeah, um I don't know. and and I, I i don't know right like if if the bucks could trade john henson and mirza Teladovic, for Ryan Anderson again, like I don't know what exactly the point of that would be for the other team, whether it's the Knicks getting those guys or, or whatever. But um, I mean, you'd basically have an ex. John Henson is has the same like contract as Ryan Anderson. Toledovich expires a year earlier. Toledovich is kind of like a homeless man's Ryan Anderson in a lot of ways. 
I, I don't even know. Like, would you even do that deal? Like, you'd, you'd basically save a little bit of money the next two years, and then that third year, you'd have an extra $10 million on your cap. Like, is that even appealing? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm that interested. I gotta, in I gotta say, I gotta say, Ryan Anderson center Giannis lineups with Ryan Anderson spotting up from 30 feet out nope. and raining yeah. hell upon teams. That would be kind of yeah, cool. That I'd would be kind of cool. For, for 20 million a year, less cool. Um, but again, it's all about what you'd have to send out when you have taken. Okay, we did, see, we're answering questions that we weren't even asked. Um, we did get asked, we did get asked one question about Jabari Parker and the Knicks. Um, ben Sewell asked, Knicks offer Frank Tilakina for Jabari right now. You taking it, question mark? Eric, you taking it? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't even think it's a question, especially with the way, I mean, you have an insanely difficult decision to make with Jabari coming up. You're not sure what he looks like. Neil Aquino, is it, how do I, how do I say it? I'm still saying Neil Aquino. I, I haven't seen anybody. Okay. So I haven't seen a difference that, that like has convinced me. I, I should probably see what the Knicks are claiming, but. Um, but I'm still saying Neil Aquino. And yeah, you get Neil Aquino's on a rookie deal, and presumably you could have him for seven to eight years, um, and those could all be years that Giannis is around. Like, yeah, he's not an ideal fit there, maybe because he doesn't shoot it quite well enough, but yeah, I would do that. And I mean, he could be a really good shooter. Like, he's shot pretty yeah, well from in Europe, but like, it's more just like we have no... We have no sample that's like really tells us that much of anything, so... Um, so yeah, but but yeah, I would agree. I mean, it, you know, in terms of again giving you another lower priced asset that could have significant upside at a position that is important for the Bucks that they don't have, you know, a, a premium player at right now. You know, apologies to Malcolm Brogdon, maybe he is that guy. But um, but yeah, I would probably do it. I'm sure if they did that, uh, a lot of people would would throw their arms up in the air. But um, I, I don't know. I, I I don't expect anything around that, but we never. Uh, last one uh, from Griffin Gross is a superstar point guard needed to win a championship. Is the 2018 Brooklyn more valuable than Kyrie? And what would you trade for it? Um, is a superstar point guard needed to win a championship? No. Mario Chalmers has a number of rings, uh, <laughs> so that answer is clearly no. If your wings are good enough, you do not need a superstar point guard. So I, I think that's. That question is easy. Um, is the 2018 Brooklyn pick more valuable than Kyrie, and what would you trade for it? Um, is the 2018 pick more valuable than Kyrie? Uh, I'd say no. And what would I trade for it? I have no idea. What, what are you feeling on that? Um, it's kind of interesting. I think to the Bucks, um, you could make the case that it it is more important. Um, just because... You know, like you said about Neil Aquino, you're going to have contract control over that pick for yeah. a very long time. And um, by the way, I just I just saw a video of Frank Neil Aquino, by the way, pronouncing it Neil Aquino. So um, I'm going with that. Um, so you weren't but, even yeah, listening contract, to me. If you're listening to pronunciation, I, I was, you were, no, I was, you weren't listening to me. That's fine. Okay. Frank. I was I was I was multitasking. What you put one ear on each you, sound? Yeah, I'm I'm just good like that. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I think you can make a good case that that maybe that Brooklyn pick is more valuable, especially if you're going to be paranoid about Kyrie leaving in a couple oh, years. I'm not that guy. Um, yeah, and so I, I think if 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 you are if you do have major doubts about being able to retain Kyrie, then I think there's there is a good argument for for the that pick potentially being more valuable. Which again is kind of weird to say because you know I don't know what is that pick supposed to be this year? Is it 
the sixth pick, the seventh pick. I don't know what it'll be. It'll be years before that pick turns into, you know, actual like production on the court that helps you win a championship probably. Um, but again, with Giannis where he is, maybe that's okay. Um, so, I, but I think it's a good question. And then finally, what would you trade for it? I, the Bucks don't have anything. Like, they don't. Like I, Chris I wouldn't trade Chris Middleton I mean, for him. So I, I wouldn't either. They don't have anything. Well, Jabari Parker, Jabari Parker, right? I mean, if that's a trade, maybe like I, I would not hate that deal, but I don't know if that's a trade you could actually make. I don't know if that. I don't know if the Cavs, and especially since that's the team that has it, like they're yeah. they're not moving it for twenty three games of Jabari. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think I think if well, it's kind of interesting because I agree. Like the, the ideal, if they're going to move this pick, they ideally want it to be for a guy who helps them win this year and then is a piece long term. Um, and the problem, obviously, is that Jabari is probably not going to be of any value this year to a team trying to win a championship or the Golden State Warriors, given that he's going to be coming back late in the year and we don't know what he's going to look like. And even if he is in good shape, you know, what does he look like in that setting? I don't know. So, um, so I would agree that the Cavs are, are not a good fit for Jabari, especially because you know they have Crowder and LeBron and Kevin Love, and you know, they, in the short term, where would you even play Jabari? I, I, I don't know. Um, longer term, if you assume Jabari or uh, LeBron leaves, then I think it, maybe it's easier to make an argument. But, um, but I don't know. I, I'm curious what the best offer um, they could get for that pick, like could they get Aaron Gordon for that pick? You know, like I'm curious what kind of deals might be available in terms of established young players. Cause to me, that's the only way if you're, um, if you're Cleveland that you would move that pick is if you think you can get like a really good young player who could be like a top three type guy, um, yeah. long-term. And again, I don't, I don't know if Aaron Gordon's going to be a top three guy. I don't know if Jabari's going to be a top three guy, but, um, you know, I think there are at least some, some discussions you could have around it. All right, Shane Moyer, we see your question. We're punting on it. I'm sorry. As the rosters in the Eastern Conference sit today, can you give us your top eight power rankings? No, I can't. Um, well, wait, let, let me, let's ask this, though. This is maybe a little bit easier. Last year, the, the playoff teams are the Boston Celtics, Cleveland Cavaliers, Toronto Raptors, Washington Wizards, Atlanta Hawks, Milwaukee Bucks, Indiana Pacers, Chicago Bulls. We, we can be pretty confident that three of those teams are going to plummet well out of the playoff race this year. Do you have three favorites as far as who you would expect to be replaced in the Atlanta Hawks, Indian Pacers, and Chicago Bulls? Oh, do I? Oh, man. Um, God, I don't like any of those teams. Maybe Philly? I don't even know. That's a big improvement for them. I don't like uh, maybe Charlotte returns to form. I don't like any of those teams. Who do you like in there? I think... I think Miami, Charlotte, Detroit, Philly are all teams that that should be gunning for a playoff spot. Um, if I had to pick three, oh, I really I did not like Miami's offseason, but more so just more so just from but not so much because like I think they got worse so much as just they just gave a ton of money to dudes who are like solid, um, like. I've seen no reason why they can't win 41 games again this year, which should get them into the East playoffs for sure, yeah. right? So I'd have to pick, you know, in Spo we trust. I think Eric Spolster is a great coach. I'm going to stick with him. Um, so I think Miami has to be one. Um, man, Detroit. Oh, God. Like, I, I don't know. I don't trust them anymore. Like, I, I, yeah. I just don't know if, as, like, is SGV a coach? Like, is he good? Yeah. I, I'll I'll go with, with Charlotte. Just because of the Pistons, I don't think – 
you know, I like Avery Bradley, but effectively swapping Marcus Morris and um, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Pope from Avery Bradley, I don't, I don't love. And I mean, is is Reggie Jackson going to be, you know, not terrible and soul crushing this year? I, I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Um, suddenly everything changes for him. So I'll go Charlotte. I'll go with SVG's disciple Steve Clifford. This is not an endorsement of Dwight Howard, by the, by the way. That's fair. But uh, more so, like I don't know why they were as bad as I don't know why they weren't better last year. So I'll go with the Hornets. Um, and then so I'll go the Heat Hornets and then screw it. Well, I don't. The Sixers. Here's the thing. The Sixers are going to be starting. Ben Simmons, who's never played an NBA game, they're going to be starting Markel Fultz, who's never played an NBA game. Joel Embiid has barely played in the NBA games. I, I think I, I would probably take the under. Like I'm, I'm. It, they need to improve. I think there's by a like lot of question marks. Twelve games. That's a huge yeah. improvement. Right. But but here's the thing. I mean, if Embiid actually played seventy games on his own, that could get you there. Sure. Like, sure. But but I, I just I just think it's so hard to bet on Embiid's hell. So. Um, but but I don't know. They're they're I think the fun answer because I think at their best they're gonna, <laughs> agree. at their best yeah. they're going to be a playoff team. But I think the question is just like can they sustain a high enough level of play over eighty two games? Um, but I don't know. And if I was going to say where the Bucks are going to finish at this point, I'll still pick them for fifth. I mean I have them in the mid forties as we discussed the other night in terms of expected wins and losses. Um, and so I still think you know the 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 top four from last year still have a good enough claim. Um, that they're going to be in the high 40s slash low 50s. Uh, I think, again, I think any of those teams could disappoint. Um, I'm not very sold on the Wizards or the Raptors, um, especially Toronto if like Lowry gets hurt again, something like that. But um, but at this point, I'll, I'll still give them the benefit of the doubt and say the Bucks will, will still be just a shade out of a home court spot in the East. Man, I just said we weren't going to do power rankings, but we just effectively did power I rankings. Just did them. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. Boston, Cleveland, Toronto, Washington. It feels safe to me to say that those are your probably top four teams in the East. Bucks would be above the, I mean, just the entire pit of despair we just talked about. Like <laughs> uh, from six through fifteen, I don't, I didn't love any of those teams as like off season. I don't, I don't love a number of those teams players. Like, ugh, there's a lot not to like there. Um, so I mean, I think the real question would be is if you think the Bucks are going to hop into the the top four and eh, i don't feel super confident in that um but maybe it happens so uh we'll see i I think that's going to be it though for this mailbag uh if we didn't get to one of your questions i apologize uh we probably just missed it um but as always send them in and obviously we try to get through a whole bunch of them so we'll do that again down the road this podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. A big shout out to them for always sponsoring our stuff. And the promo code at SeatGeek is L O N B A. Again, L O N B A for Locked On NBA. And that'll get you a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So a big thanks to them for always doing that. And as always, go check out their their tickets and the app and the website even if you've already used uh, the L O N B A promo code, you can still get great deals on tickets there. For Frank Madden, this has been Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you later. Progressive brings you Flowetry with Flow. When Flow flows, she flows in the know. Mind ruminates the rates. Shown them all, I heed the call. Seeing the rest, I choose the best. Sometimes it's ours, sometimes it's not. When the fox walks, is it called a fox trot? That's a real question. 
Compare Progressive Direct rates with competitors' rates. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.